there is skepticism and skepticism, quite frankly, is very healthy. But I think once you get past that and you understand the software and, and, and how you, the transactions can work so much more efficiently, uh, cost-wise and t- settlement times are so much lower. Once you really understand that, you'll know that blockchain in particular, and then some of these cryptos built on blockchains is really the future of finance. Welcome to Dig Life Deep with John Aiden Byrne. My guest is Jesse Brown. He's the CEO of Himalaya Exchange. Himalaya Exchange is described as the world's first true crypto ecosystem. On its website, Himalaya Exchange says it is driven by their mission to give you back the power and redefine currency. We may have heard something similar before. There's tons and tons of cryptocurrencies. There's the big one, Bitcoin. Now there is Himalaya Exchange out with its Himalaya dollar. It's a stable coin listed on the Himalaya Exchange. And it also has the Himalaya coin. It's a good time to talk about Bitcoin and crypto as the markets showed some serious recovery in the past days and as we record bitcoin itself had advanced on friday and resulted in a 14 percent increase for the largest cryptocurrency by market capitalization over the previous seven trading days it didn't dip below the psychologically viral 20,000 mark and spent most of the past week above $22,000. Dig Life Deep is not here to endorse nor recommend Bitcoin or cryptocurrencies. In fact, we're quite skeptical on cryptos and even see elements of fraud in the entire setup. But we're going to let Jesse Brown speak for Himalaya Exchange. It was a fascinating and far-reaching conversation. While I didn't ask him directly, his answers to some of my questions seem to suggest the recent pickup in crypto may have much to do with events throughout the globe, political turmoil, and the rise in US interest rates, which some analysts suggest is causing great pain in weaker economies overseas and could in itself create political and social chaos. So maybe crypto is a flight to safety in these troubling times. We will look at that. Worth noting about the Himalaya Exchange this past June, the iconic 1989 Ferrari 640 driven by Nigel Mansell in the 1989 F1 season was sold using the Himalaya dollar. Again, a stablecoin listed on the Himalaya exchange. The transaction, according to reports, was completed for the equivalent of 3.6 million euros thanks to classic car auction house or M. Sotheby's, the buyer and seller wished to remain anonymous according to reports. Jesse will talk about that. He'll talk about what's going on in his marketplace. I address the issue of fraud, the volatility in crypto, and why it doesn't meet the strict definitions of what a currency really is. Um, We'll talk about the collapse in cryptocurrencies, 
the explosions, the legal disputes, the massive plunge in value and the near-death experiences uh, for many parties in the crypto space. He has his answers and it's all, as I said, fascinating. I think it's just lack of trust in uh, institutions and governments in themselves and then just the need to have, you know, more financial freedom and, and, and a, and a, and a a currency that can work across borders and that uh, really the, the government is not involved in. We keep digging for the secrets and stories of uncommon and everyday things and interesting people. Before we get to my interview with Jesse Brown, CEO of the Himalaya Exchange, it's time for another segment of Future Shock 2.0 with Ira Wolf. Ira Wolf, welcome back to Future Shock 2.0. The post-pandemic economy and jobs, where are we headed? Thanks, John, for having me back. So I rely on economists to predict this, and they're all over the board. I think the one thing that they agree is that we will, we're approaching and we will enter a recession. How deep it is, how long it is, uh, how dramatic it is, uh, is up for grabs. Uh, some people think it'll be short-lived. Some people think it'll be deep. But one of the most fascinating parts of this is that despite the fact that our GDP is declining in, in, in the first quarter and, and many expect in the second quarter it'll, it'll decline as well and through the rest of this year, uh, the unemployment employment rate uh, is not expected to change a whole lot. Uh, just to give uh, people a little bit of background, the U.S. has experienced 12 recessions since World War II. In each of those, the average unemployment rate, actually not the average, the lowest the unemployment rate was was 6.1. Last month uh, that we have is 3.6. What everybody's talking about is that we're probably familiar with the term jobless recovery that we've had in recessions. They're talking about a jobful downturn, a jobful downturn that whether we have a recession or not, the GDP is going to be slower than it was. Our economic aren't going to be what we experienced over the last few years, that there is going to continue to be a shortage of labor, that hiring will continue, uh, maybe at a slower pace. Uh, maybe we won't have 11 million open jobs. Uh, even if we cut that in half, we have 6 million open jobs. That means that there's basically still, uh, we are at zero unemployment at that point because there's only X number of people looking for jobs that are available. Uh, it's zero sum game. So uh, it, it's going to be super interesting. And just to give a reference, uh, in June, which is the latest numbers we have, 1.3 million people were collecting federal unemployment. That's less than what it was pre-pandemic. So even if we have an uptick, it's still going to be what it used to be. But in comparison between 2007 and 2009, there were 6.5 million people receiving unemployment benefits, the last major recession that we had. You know, it's going to be a really odd recovery uh, from, from the labor standpoint, because this, if anybody's thinking this is going to be a great time to lay off people, to, to rethink, I mean, some companies are going to have to, to, to consider layoffs, but the, the good companies are, are really rethinking that. Um, they can't afford to lose people. Baby boomers, if they let them go, probably aren't coming back at this point. Um, they were on a yo-yo for years. <laughs> Baby boomers got laid off. They came back. They, they laid off. Uh, they're not around anymore. And the, the younger generations may not take fold of this. And I'll close with, with just this. I did an interview the, the other day on my podcast. 
It was from Kevin Grossman on the talent board. They study candidate experience and what what where the candidate mood is at this point. And he was in an event, a tech event in San Francisco. And they talk about, they were talking about all the layoffs. And the tech companies that were there literally just said, send them our way. The tech companies are still hiring like crazy, the good ones. So you hear the news about the Teslas and the Meta and the Apples and the Googles, the the big companies that have a lot of employees. But there's a lot of smaller tech companies that are still actively hiring because uh, even in in the IT space, uh, cybersecurity, there's there's short 600,000 people. 600,000 workers right now. Cybersecurity is not going away. It's still thriving. And they anticipate 3.5 million cybersecurity employees are going to be needed in the next four years. So uh, there are some fields. Healthcare is another one. It's going to be very, very interesting post-pandemic, a job full downturn, and we'll see what type of recovery. That was Ira Wolf, and we'll have more from Ira next week. Ira is a workforce trends expert, author, and a top five global thought leader on the future of work and HR. Listeners, I want to recommend you tune into Odeon Capital Conversations. It's a top rated podcast on Apple, Spotify, and on all the good platforms with Dick Beauvais and Matt Van Alstein of Odeon Capital Group and with yours truly. It covers everything money and markets. And on episode 26, the latest episode, we look at the banks and why many of them are absolutely ecstatic in the face of a recession many analysts see coming. We look for the explanation on this from Dick Beauvais. He's the chief financial strategist at Odeon Capital Group. Odeon Capital Conversations on episode 26 also looks at the economy, some trouble spots, housing, the auto industry, and we look at Europe, trouble there, and the fallout from Brexit on Ireland and what it means for peace and stability. I'm your host, John Aidan Byrne. My guest is Jesse Brown, CEO of Himalaya Exchange. Himalaya Exchange is a cryptocurrency exchange specialized in the Himalaya dollar and the Himalaya coin. I'm your host, John Aiden Byrne. Jesse Brown, welcome to my show. Thank you. It's going to be exciting and interesting because crypto, anything about crypto or Bitcoin, it peaks my interest, it piques the interest of our listeners. The whole world is tuned into it amidst a lot of things going on in this globe and planet. But a lot of people are as confused as hell about crypto, Bitcoin, despite all the headlines, despite all the investments and everything in the news. Kind of a, a brief synopsis. What crypto Bitcoin is all about? Sure. Well, I guess you really have to think about the types of cryptos there are, first of all. So there's quite a few different categories we can put cryptos in, right? The the original coin was really meant just for Alice to pay Sally a little bit of Bitcoin. It's called the UTXO model, the unspent transaction output. Right. So originally crypto started like this. This is how, you know, Bitcoin was originally meant to be used. It's still the best way to use Bitcoin. But since then, there have been other blockchains, right? So the blockchain is the underlying software 
behind Bitcoin, right? And behind crypto. So different cryptos have different blockchains and these blockchains have various uh, consensus algorithms that verify all the transactions. So we already mentioned proof of work and that's really the first one. And that's where really, uh, you know, computers all working together where we hear about crypto mining and, and, you know, how expensive that is. And, you know, we can get into detail around that and how the industry is kind of adopted and it's doing very well. And if you'd like to later, but, you know, originally crypto was meant to send someone a transaction and for all the computers to have a distributed ledger that's public that all reach consensus and verify that transaction. And that's immutable. There's really no way to get that transaction back. So that's one type of crypto, right? And then there's also other types of crypto, which are use more business logic and smart contracts and, and how they operate. And you know, those you've heard about probably stable coins, uh, there's uh, central bank digital currencies uh, that, that, that are really big right now, uh, old school privacy coins that are very anonymous, uh, high privacy. There's also some governance tokens. Uh, and then, you know, the basic NFTs, non-fungible tokens and utility tokens. So a lot of these use smart contract and business logic uh in their protocols. And, you know, there's quite a diverse set of cryptos, but, you know, basically it's all about instant value transfer and kind of eliminating the banking and set and, you know, reducing settlement times, the middleman, a lot of things like that. It's to automate the value of transfer. We have to go back a little bit in time to the early days. And this is what fascinates a lot of people and holds their attention. Uh, the inventor or inventors of crypto, they're these, I won't call them shady, but they're unknown people that they're, they're hiding out there. We don't know who are they. We've heard different names, Sochi Morrow. Tell us about all of that. When it's not clear to you who the inventor is, it kind of makes people a little uneasy. Yeah, well, I think there's good reason for that. I, I, I mean, what you're speaking to specifically, again, is Bitcoin, right? So, so Bitcoin was developed during the economic housing crisis we had gl globally, where uh, the market had a lot of problems with some of these mortgage-backed securities that were packaged in uh, triple-grade-A uh, securities, right? So, so when all that happened uh, was when this... Bitcoin technology was starting to be developed, uh, and 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 it really at its core, it's decentralized, but it's open source, so everyone can see the code, everyone that it's written on, everyone can see the transactions on the wallet. So in a lot of ways, it's uh, only those who helped launch it are are really hidden or obscured. The rest of all the transactions are pretty compliant and transparent in a lot of ways, right? Yeah, yeah. So, so it took off from there in in around the time of or uh, during the time of the financial crisis. Was there a yes. correlation between those? Was it created as some kind of an alternative to protect people's wealth? Was that the thinking and rationale that was going on? Yeah, it it, it was. You know, there were a lot of problems back then, as as we all know. Uh, that led to the crisis and led to the downturn. I think it's just lack of trust 
in uh, institutions and governments in themselves, and then just the need to have, you know, more financial freedom and, 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 a, and, a, and a, a currency that can work across borders and that uh, really the, the government is not involved in, right? So fear of government, and that explains the concept of DeFi, uh, decentralized finance, the consumer, as it were, control over their finances in fear of big brother, the big government. Yeah, it's a lot like ha putting your cash under your mattress, right? Mm, yeah. So you are the CEO of Himalaya Exchange, one of many entities in this space. What do you do? What does your group do and offer the public? We're building out uh, an ecosystem uh, through our exchange and through uh, a wallet uh, that we have, uh, Him Himalaya Pay. So what we're trying to do is, is we're trying to build out a network of uh, vendors, <laughs> as well as create an exchange platform that's you know regulated and compliant in, in, in the jurisdictions where we work, uh, and that also uh, is kind of proactive in, in the way we scale, where we haven't taken a lot of the risks that you've seen in the marketplace. We've been fairly conservative. So we're really a, uh, you know, an, an exchange, I, I think, where people go to, you know, buy our coins and to be members of our ecosystem to participate in, in things there. Like, for example, recently, uh, we work with Sourbee Auction, and we uh, recently sold a, uh, th through that platform, we sold uh, a classic uh, Formula One car. We've actually sold a couple of them uh, with our H dollar. Uh, you know, one was for five million, one was for a million. So we're beyond just an exchange uh, in the traditional crypto extent, extent where you can buy, you know, tokens and you can uh, ha have a portfolio of uh, assets, digital assets there. But you can also use these assets in the real world. When were you created? How big are you? Give us a size of some of your assets and the transactions flowing through your platform. We started in November of 2020 uh, in, in the B, in the BVI. We're domiciled in the BVI. Uh, the British Virgin Islands? Yes, in Tortola, in the Bridge and Virgin Islands. Is that where you are today? Uh, I am not. Uh, today I'm in Florida, but I do I, I do uh, work at, at, in the British Virgin Islands. I, I'm back and forth to Florida a lot as well. Uh, but we also have offices in London. Uh, a lot of our uh, consultants are, are there. We, we have uh, a lot of help uh, from the technology side there, from security. So we have a big presence there, about 200 employees total which includes an Australian office. And we're also acquirers, even in this downturn, you, you know, we're buying banks uh, and different components that'll make our ecosystem work much more efficiently uh, as we start to, you know, broaden our scope around the world. Well, this is interesting. So you're in a growth mode uh, because we're reading and hearing about entities, exchanges, um, firms, the crypto, Bitcoin, Ether space, who were in near collapse in recent months. And, uh, you know, that's a whole separate story. Massive amount of value wiped away in an instant. And we can get to that in a moment. Yeah. So who are your typical customers? 
it's it's kind of a I would say it's a it's a mix. Uh, we're pretty prominent uh, in the Asia Pacific region, uh, but we're global. Uh, but a lot of our customers uh, speak Mandarin as well as English. Uh, so I would say that you know as we're scaling, you know we're growing our our uh, footprint where, where we can. But this is a slow and arduous process, unfortunately, in the space right now, because compliancy is a, it's a very fluid thing across multiple nations. And, you know, we can talk about uh, the IMF and how they view uh, tokens uh, from the central bank side, and also just how different jurisdictions are approaching coins, you know, even with our two uh models, the exchange, and then the HPay wallet, there's different regulations for those from a customer due diligence, from a, from a transaction monitoring perspective. So there's a lot of moving parts and each jurisdiction is unique. So to really scale, uh, it takes time to do it the right way. To be even more specific, are your customers retail, institutional, are they Wall Street money managers, or is it a mixture? It's it's a mixture of all of all those of all those entities for sure. It's more on the uh, we we had an, a very successful uh, coin issuance on our exchange, the uh, Himalaya coin. The uh, Himalaya coin. Yes, yes. So, so 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 that's our coin for our ecosystem, our, our utility coin for for our for our ecosystem. So there was a lot of buildup for it. There was quite a bit of demand. We were very fortunate in that we launched uh, in November of uh, 2021, and that was kind of the peak of the industry, right? So timing has a lot to do uh, with, with a lot of things in this marketplace as you know, we can get into the current uh, timing of things right now for, for some projects. But I would think that that helped us a lot, but we have a lot of demand, even uh, in these more trying times, uh, you know, we're not that far from our all-time high with with our initial utility coin, and and you know we're still up, I think, three hundred x from the original launch. So that shows that there's constant demand for our product. Uh, when people want to exit the coin, there's plenty of people willing to buy it, right? So you're saying liquidity, I suppose, is the what we're talking about here. Easy yes, to get. Yes, yes, and, and, ju- and, and just demand. You know, crypto is built on community, and, and we have strong co- community right now. We're building strong communities in social media, uh, you know, in different places where we go. Although we've rolling out slowly, too, uh, because there are certain, you know, restrictions to advertising in different jurisdictions you know, different points. Uh, so, <clears throat> you know, it's, as I said before, it's a uh, arduous. So back in November, journey. that was market high. So that good timing or fortunate timing, whichever way you look at it. Did you receive a call or message that mentioned social security and demanded immediate action? Did the caller know your social security number or other personal information and tell you that your social security number had been used in connection with the crime? Did you feel worried that your social security number might be suspended, your bank account might be frozen or seized, or you could be arrested? That is not the Social Security Administration. Social Security will not threaten you, demand your personal information or instant payment, email or text you pictures or documents, or use a real government official's name to gain your trust. 
Social Security does not accept payments by gift card, prepaid debit card, internet currency, or by mailing cash. Criminals use these forms of payment because they are hard to trace. Do not be fooled. Hang up. Ignore them. Report this criminal activity to the Social Security Administration Office of the Inspector General at oig.ssa.gov. Produced at U.S. taxpayer expense. My guest is Jesse Brown, CEO of Himalaya Exchange. Himalaya Exchange is a cryptocurrency exchange specialized in the Himalaya dollar and the Himalaya coin. I'm your host, John Aiden Byrne. You're a private company? Yes. Do you have any big investors? Can you discuss uh, any of that? No, I, we, we've always been well-funded. We've never had really the need for investment. Uh, capital was really never an issue for, for us. So it sounds like you're 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 in a you have a different business model than some of the other groups out there who were near death or collapsed. Yeah. Right. So maybe kind of um, clarify that a little bit more. You you you've, you're you're in a, you seem like you're in a pretty strong position commercially and uh, financially. Yes, we are, and and we started on you know sound financial footing to begin with. So, you know, obviously that helps the process a lot, but we've been successful in the, in the products we've rolled out and, and, and in the, you know, with the exchange as well. Part of it is we have 100, the H dollar, right? The coin that was used, you know, that, were, that, that, that was used for some of the transactions uh, for, for, the, for the Formula One vehicles, right? That's 100% backed by cash reserves in, in the bank. And and we're a uh, we're a company that believes in transparency. Uh, we work with a with Armenino. Uh, they're they're stablecoin auditors from Silicon Valley, and we also work with PricewaterhouseCooper. So we're, we we can show proof of reserves, and we can show that all of our reserves are 100% cash back. And we're not we didn't fall into the rehypothecation problem that a lot of these other crypto lenders fell into and institutions too that were giving a lot of yield at times moving around you know high yields and, and integrating uh, with you know that whole high highly leveraged marketplace we never use the H dollar for anything more than to back the coin so I think that's worked in our favor well yeah I think there's trust there you know people understand that they can always get out of the dollar and get into the USD. Yeah, because in the wake of some of the near collapses and uh, the obliteration of so much wealth, there is a certain skittishness now hanging surrounding Bitcoin, even if the market continues on its recovery or it's, I mean, by some definitions, the stock market's in a, a bear rally, although we've had um, some strong run-ups in recent weeks. Bitcoin crypto doesn't seem to be keeping pace, and that might be to do with this lingering fear. Um, and to that point, some of the um, groups out there, they, they were saying, oh, we're pegged to the dollar. But what did that mean in the end when they never really kind of got through the, the worst of the market turmoil? Yeah, I, I think the best way to look at that is in, in the United States, a lot of the feedback coming from the from the government it, it is that the a stable coin really should be backed by cash reserves or at least high quality US government short term notes right or short term paper mm -hmm. i i think 
you, you know, when there's this systemic risk, right, that affects these markets, if your reserves are one or two days away from you being able to use them, that's too long. You need a time frame. Well, you need to be able to access your cash reserves right away. When, oh, sorry, when expar- yes, you. correct it. You need to. Yeah. You need immediate access. Yes, yes, yes. To to, to you know, that's typical bank run, right? You you see that played out everywhere in this yeah. last correction. And so the, these other entities, or many of them, as far as we can tell, just didn't have that um, recovery mechanism and did not stand them very well. Well, they, they were they were highly leveraged as well. And, the, and, and then, yeah, accessing the reserves proved problematic. Some, you know, some of the algorithm coins where you could automatically buy back another coin uh, I believe it was Lunar. You could automatically get a dollar's worth of that at any time, no matter what you were buying. They're failing stablecoin app. So that created a trading arbitrage. And you get the hedge funds that kind of hunt that out. Then you've, you know, you've got an issue like you you've had there. But you know, these are all uh great lessons to be learned by the industry. I, I think it helps us to understand, you know, what's missing, you know, what didn't work. And some things did work. I I mean, there's obviously some companies that came out better than others. And I think their methodologies and their strategies are probably ones that, you know, may test tell the test of time, right? I'm wondering then if crypto Bitcoin entities have to be backed by some um, traditional assets, let's say cash, money, some kind of collateral, real estate or whatever. Doesn't it in a sense get away from its original uh, idea and virtues? It becomes more ordinary. Yeah, I'd agree. I I think there's room in in the industry, in the crypto industry for for all. I, I mean, there's obviously tokenization of hard assets uh, is, is kind of where crypto might be going. Uh, tokenization of, of, of equities as well. There, there's a lot of ways I think you can you can better improve existing markets uh, you know through crypto rails. But with that said, you, you know there's also the coins that are in existence now. I think there's still room for a lot of you know coins and protocols where development, you know, we talked about being able to create business logic and things like that. I think those protocols, if they get a lot of traction and a lot of users will will give great value too from the applications that are built on top of them. Uh, you talked about your own coin. Can you what what's that value that? Where was it trading at or how it's, do we measure it? It, it trades at it's trading in the in in the low thirties. I, I I think today it, it launched at ten cents uh, okay. in, in in November. Uh, currently, it's just available exclusively on our platform, but we're getting ready to 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 branch out. Uh, it's going to be available in other platforms in in, in the coming quarters. Uh, and we're busy adding new coins to the plat- to our exchange too. So a lot of our next phase growth is going to be happening uh, towards the end of the year here. So uh, the exchange will be a little bit more robust. And I think that because of that and the coin being uh, out there on other exchanges, we'll start to get more brand awareness too. From everyone will will know the the Himalaya coin and the ecosystem. Uh, but Jesse, what what is your overall take on the um, what we went through 
with coin crypto ether coin base all of those what do you make of that it's if you've been involved in the space for a while you've probably been to two or three of these uh it's not uncommon for uh bitcoin or ethereum to retract 80 84 percent really at any time i think you can you could probably make an argument that a lot of the run-up was due to federal stimulus maybe the pandemic uh people you know investing that that those funds into crypto and running it up at the same time i think that had a lot to do with the with the run-up this time but i don't think it's uncommon you know it hasn't been uncommon for it to retract uh at these levels before either it's kind of uh you, you know, it, it, it can almost be cyclical in, in a way. If you look at cryptocurrency, it almost would follow an IMS chart as well. As you see the economy doing well and companies doing well and people having more wealth in their pocket, which we've gone through, then of course, some of that is going to go into these different asset classes that, you know, can produce 300x like we've done, right? But if you have drops of 80% in, in or around, I mean, that's volatility in the extreme. Why would the average investor want to get involved with something like that? That's scary stuff. It, it, it is, but what's the volatility from, right? It's from over leveraging. It, it, it's from, you know, the things we talked about with rehypothecation and, and you know, this global systemic risk of all these companies. Mm -hmm. It's happened before in all in in traditional finance too. Mm -hmm. uh, certainly, there's a big risk to it, but I think as the market matures and people understand what's behind the coins they're investing in and what the true value of that blockchain is and or what the true value of that asset is behind it, then I think the volatility goes away. So long term, we may see uh, that uh, volatility going away, as you said, and so that could help these asset yeah, classes. Yeah, you, you need regulation, though, and you, you know you need everyone to be on the same page as far as you know the IMF and every jurisdiction is unique, every country is unique in, in its uh, economic needs and, and and how their you know countries work with their own fiat. You know, a lot of people move to crypto in times like these when the when when we're raising our rates in the U.S. That affects. Uh, a lot of developing nations and the value of their fiat. You know, Venezuela is a great example of that. There's, there's a, there's going to be a bucket of those examples where that'll be more of an organic move to crypto. Where now I'm living in uh, El Salvador or I'm living in a country where my government fiat is losing value rapidly. It's a wealth preservation move for them. Mm -hmm. Does it fit the criteria of money and what we regard as money, a store of value, a medium of exchange, uh, a unit of account? Um, I, I think it does. I, I, I mean, I, I don't I, I see people on both ends of the order book all the time. That seems like a robust economy to me. Right. But the average investor, you can't go into there are exceptions, and you see them on some websites. I don't know if it's a marketing gimmick or, or or reality. Can you use your Bitcoin tokens and so on to book a flight to British Virgin Islands um, or you, you buy can. your next meal? You, you can. Microsoft buy a, buy a house. 
Microsoft accepts Bitcoin. Uh, British Airways accepts Bitcoin. Uh, I think Home Depot, Whole Foods Connect, uh, it, you know, accepts Bitcoin. We're building out an ecosystem. Uh, there's a, another token, uh, Dash, that has a fairly big presence uh, around the world, too, uh, maybe in a thousand locations. So, yes, you can. Uh, but you know, I, I, I think it's, you know, the, it's the individual's choice to their risk appetite back to the, you know, the volatility. But I would, you know, I would make the case that Zoom lost 84%, you know, the equity, right? I would also make the case there's quite a few tech companies that have lost 60, 70% in this correction as well. And that goes back to, you, you, you know, the, the, the $4 trillion that was just printed in the last two years in circulation for the United States dollar. I mean, of course, that's going to have a ripple effect, right? Yeah, we've devalued our currency here. But fiat currency and crypto and Bitcoin are two distinct things. At least with fiat, the government backs it. You can pay your taxes with the US dollar. You can't pay your taxes with Bitcoin or crypto. You can. There's, I think, Indiana, there's a couple states you can pay your taxes in crypto. I mean, I would never suggest paying anything. I, I mean, I would convert Bitcoin to a stable coin or something to pay, or I would, you know, use something where, you know, especially now, I, I mean, I think it's safe to understand this is a pretty good price for Bitcoin, whether it has more room to, to you know, retract down from here or not, it's not a bad place to buy Bitcoin. And I would rather hold Bitcoin at these prices than use it to buy an airplane ticket. Yes. So that's that's interesting that some states are now permitting you to pay your taxes in Bitcoin or crypto. What's your relationship like with the regulators? And because you mentioned compliance and IMF, which was interesting for you to open about that. I, I, do you work with them? Have they, have you had conversations, meetings? Because I'm sure they're watching all this stuff really closely. Yeah, we've got an army of, of, of lawyers and compliance officers that are, are constantly talking to major players in, 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 in different parts of the world to get an understanding of what they're thinking so that we can you know, forge ahead into those jurisdictions, uh, you know, in a compliant manner and, and, and in a regulated uh, entity, you know, that's licensed, that can, you know, can transact in those jurisdictions. So, so certainly, yes, we talk to a lot of them. We have our finger on the pulse of, uh, you know, a lot of what's going on, not only uh, from the technical side of things but also from uh from the legal side well it's just interesting the whole shift in investor mentality um of crypto bitcoin and all the whole list of them it was only a couple of years ago where jamie diamond at jp morgan called it a fraud mm. and now he's kind of shifted his attitude and you see some of the big banks and brokerages embracing yeah, the, in seventeen, I can pretty much recall they were all calling it a fraud, but in the in, in behind the scenes, they were all scrambling to get patents. Mm. So you can take that for what you will. Yeah, so they're trying to get in on that space because well, and they're trying to you know do it in a stealth manner in a lot of ways too. Uh, but I, I think it's uh, I think we're at the point where decentralized finance can work across institutional 
traditional finance. Uh, I, I, I think we're that those pipelines and those and the, and those frameworks are starting to come together now, where you're going to see a lot more institutional money into crypto uh, moving forward. Uh, you, you know, it'll be like anywhere where it'll be a few select top tokens, but it'll, you know, they'll certainly have, you know, that institutional demand behind them. Do you see the day coming where crypto exchanges, crypto banks will have a kind of FDIC guarantee? Yes. Whereas if the depositor, the customer um, is at the receiving end of uh, a bank failure or a crypto bank failure, they're going to yes. be made whole by the government. I, I, I do. I think that'll be mandatory. I actually think that stable coins, from what the thinking is right now, that stable coins will need to be issued by a bank at some point to, to be FDIC insured. So, so, so obviously, there's a lot of value to, uh, to, you know, to banks with a digital stable coin. Uh, yeah. so, so I would assume that you know, they would be first in line uh, for that. We could have you back some other time to talk about the central banks getting involved with uh, crypto, but it's almost a separate discussion because, in effect, in some ways, the banking system has everything you know in a digital uh, fashion just by all the sheer transactions it does. It's all electronic. Yeah, um, yeah I, I, I mean, each jurisdiction is unique, so each central bank will be unique in what it sees. And, and then there's the technology component of it, too, is... You can have policy, right? But then you have to have the technology and then all that technology has to integrate. So there's quite a lot of work to be done there. Tell us who Jesse Brown is. What's your background? Uh, I've been in crypto, I don't know, for six or seven years now. Uh, I've worked with projects involving uh, medical healthcare records, uh, also big data, uh, I was a uh, <laughs> consultant as well for the Whitney Project, which was DTCC's uh, private asset tokenization project. So uh, for people who don't know, that's the Depository Trust Company uh, based yes. in New York City. So, so I've worked on the institutional side, on the startup side. I've, uh, I've been involved in mining for, for quite some time now. Uh, before all that, I was in uh, I, I was in uh, pharmaceutical big data. I tracked uh, supply chain data from manufacturer to distributor to uh, zip code pharmacy. So naturally, that whole uh, culture and environment, you know, led to this distributed ledger uh, fascination that I had kind of right away. Yeah. I guess. Where are you from? Uh, where did you grow up? Uh, I'm from Florida. Okay. Uh, I I grew up in uh, Cape Cod, Mass. We're not here to recommend that listeners um, go up on your website and buy, sell, hold. We're not. We don't give investment advice. But just quickly explain if people want to sort of know more about Himalaya Exchange and they want to dabble in in sure. it. What they what, sure. what are the things they can do? Like a. Well, obviously, due diligence, especially now since we've seen what's happened, is paramount to to you know get involved in crypto in, in any way. Just like you would do due diligence on a stock, right? I mean, you don't really want to trade on social media as much as you want to get something 
that's going to hold its value through the good times and the bad. So we have, uh, if you go to Himalaya.exchange, right there uh, on the website, you can uh, read the white paper for the coin, for both coins, the dollar and, and the and, uh, Himalaya coin. Uh, you can see the, the pair there and how they're trading. Uh, you, can, you can sign up and register, uh, provide your documents for KYC, things like that, and then kind of get a look and feel around the site. We have uh, you know, a lot of information on social media, too, that can kind of get you a feel of the industry and all that. So there's quite a bit of info. And you know, the more you know the, and the knowledgeable you are, I, I think the better you're going to do in, in, in any type of investment. Full disclosure, I'm a crypto Bitcoin skeptic. I don't buy or sell in it. I certainly am not recommending it. I, parts of me believe it's a fraud. I like talking to you, Jesse. You're a fascinating individual. Um, very interesting. Will the day come where an investor can call their money manager at Merrill Lynch and say, hey, and maybe they can already do it. So I'm, I'm out of the loop in that sense. But, oh, I want 5% of my portfolio in Bitcoin crypto. Yeah, I, I mean, uh, th there's starting to be some some ETFs, but a lot of them haven't been path, passed yet. But I, I think you can certainly, do, I think you'll certainly be able to do that. I think your allotment is a decent amount to start. Uh, but but I, it, you know, there's thousands of coins, you, you know, so you really need to look around and study and just you know. Get, try to get an understanding of it as much as you could, as much as you can, because there, there is skepticism and skepticism, quite frankly, is very healthy. But I think once you get past that and you understand the software and, and, and how you, the transactions can work so much more efficiently, uh, cost-wise and settlement times are so much lower, once you really understand that, you'll know that blockchain in particular, and then some of these cryptos built on blockchains is really the future of finance. Jesse Brown, you're the CEO of Himalaya Exchange. And thank you for coming on my show. Take care and we'll catch up again. Thank you so much. You are listening to Dig Life Deep with John Aiden Byrne. You can reach the host in the US at 973 529-4699. That's 973-529-4699. 973-529-4699. Email burndesk at gmail.com. That's burndesk, B-Y-R-N-E, desk at gmail.com. Burndesk at gmail.com. Subscribe for free.